and welcome to The Short Stuff. I'm Josh, there's Chuck, there's JJ. Let's get started with one of the most gruesome things that has ever happened in the history of the world. Yeah, and probably the most gruesome thing that's ever happened on this show. Yeah, I don't think there's a probably about it. And we've talked about some gruesome stuff, but we should probably give a little COA here. Like, the stuff we're going to talk about is kind of graphic of people dying and being mutilated. So just heads up on that one. Yep, I just looked at the pic. Thank you. Yes, anytime. I can't believe you hadn't so far. Yeah, I avoided it. So until you you see the full color one, is that the one you looked at just (laughs) now? You're talking about the tray of... Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right, so so everyone knows what we're talking about. Uh, there was, and still is, it sounds like, a drilling rig called the Biford Dolphin. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it looks like it's uh, contracted out by BP. I think so. And in November, on November 5th, 1983, there was, in the North Sea, a very horrific accident, uh, an explosive decompression accident that occurred on the Biford Dolphin or not on the Biford Dolphin, but but very far under the sea. No, no, it was on the Biford Dolphin. But does that mean, I thought this happened below deck. Let me take this, let me take this. You ready? <laughs> All right, good night. So the whole thing, the whole thing centers around saturation diving. Yeah, I get it. Sure, I get that. Okay, okay. So, well, let's explain to the, the peeps at home what saturation diving is then, okay? It means you can live down there, basically, and work. Yeah, so, like, if you're working on the Biford Dolphin, you could be drilling into you know, thousands of feet um, uh, of a bedrock under the sea to get to whatever gas or oil you're after. And so you might be working hundreds and hundreds of feet down every day, which means that when you come back up, as if you listen to our cave diving episode, you got to decompress. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to decompress, that takes time. So that means that, you know, it could take hours and hours every day after your shift to decompress before you can finally come up to the surface. So since that's just so ridiculously inefficient, um, they've come up with this thing called saturation diving, which kind of gets around decompressing every day. Yeah, plus you got to keep them on the clock, you know, while you're decompressing. You got to pay for the decompressing, yeah. All right, so the way I understand it is they, like you said, it's more efficient to stay down there and work, Mm -hmm. which they do, uh, but they don't live down there necessarily like in the abyss. Right, right. They come back up to the ship, but the whole journey from seafloor to ship is uh, pressurized at the same pressure. Is that right? It is. And then once they get to the ship, they have to live and stay in these pressurized environments so that they don't have to decompress every day. So gotcha. they're working down on the seafloor, and then they're living on the ship, and then they're traveling between the two in a pressurized diving bell. But the, the point is, is everywhere they are for weeks on end during their shift or their, their stint or hitch, that's what they call it, their hitch of working the seafloor, they're living in this pressurized environment, whether it's on the ship, in the diving bell, or down on the seafloor. It's all pressurized to the, the atmosphere the atmospheric pressure of the work site down on the seafloor. Okay, this makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. I was under the impression it was like the abyss. Right. And they all just lived down there and played cards and made pithy remarks (laughs) and complained (laughs) about the food. It was a good movie, though. It was a great movie. So this does make a lot more sense. So basically, the hatches of the diving bell and the ship chamber are all lined up and clamped together Mm -hmm. by these divers that are on the outside. Dive tenders. Yeah, dive tenders. And that's where it becomes a little bit like a movie. You move from one to one and mm-hmm. then make sure everything is super 
tightly clamped together, obviously, because it's all super pressurized. Yeah, and to, like, hook the diving bell up to the um, the pressure chambers where they, like, live and eat and play cards and, and give pithy remarks to one another right. on the ship, that's all pressurized as if it's, you know, at nine atmospheres down on the sea floor, even though outside of those chambers on the ship, it's at one atmosphere. It's at sea level pressure. Yeah, right? you can't just pop out and have a smoke. No, you cannot. You have to stay in what's, what is that gerbil habitat called? Mm, you know what I'm talking about? Sort of. You can put like a bunch of tubing and stuff together yeah. and let your gerbil run around. Yeah. So this is basically what these divers lived in, and it was all pressurized. And so when you're traveling from, you know, the seafloor up to the chambers on the ship in this diving bell, and you clamp the diving bell onto the, the pressurized chamber, you need to make sure that the tunnel that connects the two is pressurized, and then you can open up the hatch and then move into the chamber, shut the hatch, depressurize that that um, that little tunnel, and then remove move the diving bell, and you're fine. It's just a lot of extra work and thoughtfulness to live like this for weeks on end for saturation diving, but it means that you only have to decompress once at the end of this several-week hitch before you go out into sea-level atmosphere. Right, and given what's going on, you would think that there is a robust system of <laughs> fail-safes right. and check marks and hand signals to make sure that everything is hooked up yep. and sealed tight in order to maintain that pressure. And today you'd be right, but in 1983, not necessarily. That's right. So we're going to take a break and tell you what happened on November 5th of that year right after this. All right, so here's what happened on number, uh, November 5th. There was a team of four divers down there working in the Frigg gas field in the North Sea. Mm -hmm. uh, there were two divers in a bell, and that's – we talked about – I think we did a whole podcast on a diving bell, didn't we? Uh, yeah, we did. We totally did, which is kind of weird to think of. But, yeah, I, I remember because <laughs> remember that one cook on that ship from Nigeria that went down? He managed yeah. to, like, live in, like, a little air pocket That's for right. a couple days. Yeah, so the diving bell is, is the chamber that takes people uh, back and forth. It's the taxi, basically, right. transporting them to, from the work site back up to these pressurized chambers uh, on the ship. Right. Um, it had just been cranked up to the surface. And they were crawling through this passageway. It's called a trunk to this attached sealed decompression chamber. Which is where they lived and worked and or lived and ate and made Play pithy cards. jokes. Yeah. Exactly. Don't forget the cards. Right, the cards. And you got to complain about the cooking. Sure. Uh, and then there was a chamber, another chamber, pretty similar nearby that had two more of the uh, diving team. Mm -hmm. And then each of these chambers, this trunk, the bell, and the chamber were all completely pressurized. And again, the system was in place, and it had worked pretty well up until this point. Yeah, but for some reason, on this particular day, one of the two dive tenders, one of the divers who were outside in the normal pressure uh, atmosphere, outside of this pressurized chamber, they their job was to assist in making sure the diving bell was clamped up to the trunk correctly and opening and closing the valves and stuff like that. One of them unclamped the diving bell from the trunk before the um the the hatch had been shut yeah 
closing off the divers in their their quarters, their deep their pressurized quarters. This was catastrophic. It it what it did was it introduced the normal one atmosphere of atmospheric pressure into the pressurized dive chambers, which were pressurized to nine atmospheres. And in a fraction of a second, the pressure inside of these things went from an extremely compressed nine atmospheres to an extremely decompressed one atmosphere, again, in less than a second. And it was, it was again, catastrophic is the only way to put it. Yeah, this is something that they would take 9, 10, 11, 12 hours to decompress usually. Yes. And it happened in under a second. Yes. It caused an explosion, a decompression explosion, killed all four of these divers uh, and the dive tender immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a follow-up study, of course, in 1988. They found that the three of the divers were were literally killed instantly. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I guess we need to say this, right? Yeah. So the diver, uh, their bodies ruptured, basically. The diver closest to the door, uh, his organs, spine, and limbs, it says, were ejected, and his remains exploded through a narrow gap in that chamber door. Yeah, before this happened so fast, and he was pulled apart so violently, that before that chamber door that he hadn't gotten shut yet could slam shut, Mm -hmm. about half of them shot out in a burst of, like, blood and gore through that that narrow opening as the, sh- the hatch door was slamming shut from the pressure. Yeah, they said that his, they found his liver on the deck of the boat, uh, quote, complete as if dissected out of the body, end quote. Right, and so they, they think what happened, so the other three, they all died instantly, but the other three, their bodies were intact, but what had happened is the, their, their organs and their blood vessels had all ruptured because the gases that were um, dissolved in their blood at that moment suddenly just expanded and just burst everything inside of them. But the guy who was pulled apart uh, exploded so violently because he was the closest to that to yeah, that, that pressure door. gradient in between one atmosphere and nine atmosphere. And he was he was pulled apart by that pressure gradient. Like part of him was a little further away from the door than the rest of him. And that difference was enough to just be pulled apart by, the, by this explosion. Yeah. The only thing that I can say that is good about this was that it was so fast yeah. There was not even a moment of panic of what just happened. Right. There was no fear even, much less pain. Right. It was just you're going back into the chamber and all of a sudden you wake up sitting on a cloud going, oh, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> Where did I get this loot? Yeah, basically. Or harp. It's it, a harp. At least it was that fast uh, that there certainly was no pain involved, but also no fear uh, or anything. It was just lights out. Right. And so you might think like, well, wait a minute, how did this guy even begin to get this clamp open that that allowed the, the pressurized chamber to depressurize catastrophically? Well, that's what a lot of people said afterwards. And so the Norwegian Oil Directorate and the regulations body Norsk Veritas basically said, this can never happen again. If you have an old like um, saturation diving system set up, you have to retrofit it following these new specifications that make it this impossible. Like you couldn't possibly open a clamp 
um, before the trunk has been like depressurized, before the hatch has been shut, before all this stuff happens, so that it's an actual fail safe. Yeah, and the thinking all along was that it was a human error. Uh, that's what the report said. Uh, fatigue or just, you know, somebody made a mistake. Uh, but it seems like years later, uh, some of these relatives of the of the gentlemen that were killed mm-hmm. got their hands on a report that said it was actually faulty equipment. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. And where did this come from? Who do we have to thank for this? We got a lot of people to thank. Um, everybody from History Channel to there was a guy on Reddit actually named Spectromero who did a great job of explaining saturation diving in this particular accident. So nice. got a got a handful of people to thank for this one. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, terrible stuff, but (laughs) interesting nonetheless. Yeah. There you go, Chuck. I think you saved us at the last minute. Uh, Well, uh, thanks a lot for joining us. We hope that you can carry on the rest of the day without um, shuddering. Good luck. Uh, In the meantime, Short Stuff is out. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.